are seated, I would encourage you to turn your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 9. That will be our text that we study together. I'm also going to take a moment to dismiss our children who are fourth grade and under to head upstairs with our adults for kids crew. This past week, Charlotte was under the weather a few days, but she's back. And uh, this morning when she came walking in the office, I pulled out my phone and I looked up the old song, He's Alive on uh, YouTube. And I played that. If you know, you know. If you don't know, then I, I don't guess it would help you. But uh, you know, that he's alive, he's alive. I played that for Charlotte this morning. It's like, she's alive. She's made it back. We're glad she's back with us and rebounded. And we trust a lot of people have had sickness lately. It's been passed around in a number of families. And, and I know others have been fighting, uh, fighting things as well. And so if you've been out and you're back, well, we're thankful that you're here too uh, this morning. We're glad that you've joined us. And I, I hope truly that God will be able to work in your heart today and speak to you. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at in Acts beginning really in Acts 9 and then moving into chapters 10 and a part of 11, we're, we're linking together several things that probably in their own right could be standalone messages. And yet there's some connective tissue here that I want us to see. I've said that actually, I feel like every week as we've been working our way through the book of Acts, but we're intentionally trying to see how all the different things that are happening in the life of the church are tied together. And at the heart of it all, at the root of it all, is the work of the Holy Spirit, is the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit stirring in the hearts of God's people, moving in their lives to bring about this, this amazing transformation. And we see that transformation play itself out in a number of different ways, and we'll see even more of that. But I'll tell you that what we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 9 is probably the, the, most, the most remarkable story of transformation in all of the Bible, I think. Uh, and I, that could be argued, I suppose. You could, you know, so, so if you have a, a difference of opinion. But as, as we look at the story of Saul, who becomes Paul, and we study what God has brought I, I dare say that there's no more powerful transformative story when we see the, the, the gospel at work in someone's heart and their life. And we love a good story about transformation, don't we? Think about the number of TV shows, especially reality TV shows, that are all about some kind of amazing transformation. In fact, that may even be the name of an actual reality show, right? The Amazing Transformation or something. I don't know, but the, we have lots of, and so whether it's, whether it's like a, a, a miracle makeover type thing or whether it's a dramatic weight loss or whether it's someone who uh, experiences not always a physical thing. Sometimes it's a change that happens as somebody, you know, we see somebody that learns a, a business skill or they develop a new, you know, somebody comes in and teaches them the magic trick to making their business thrive or, or whatever it is. We love a story, a good story about transformation. In fact, so many of the stories that we tell, think about the books that you've read, think about the movies that you watched, 
the, the key theme in so many of these is the transformation the, that, that happens, the story arc, if you will, that's sometimes the language that we use, that happens in the lives of the stories of the main characters. We love the power of story. We love the power even more of transformation in a story, seeing that played out. Well, in that sense, what we're going to read about in Acts chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11 has all the stuff of a blockbuster movie. It has all the stuff of, uh, of, of a hit TV show. It has all the stuff of a New York Times best-selling novel. And yet what we see here are, are events that actually happened in the lives of real people who lived and were truly transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, which makes it all the more remarkable. And what I want to say up front, because I want you to be conscious of this throughout the entire message this morning, what I want to say, what I want you to hear me say, is that the same Holy Spirit that was at work then is at work now. And so there's a temptation to look at the story of Saul and how his life is transformed on the road to Damascus and think, well, wow, what, a, what an incredible thing. Wow, isn't it cool that God did that and not connect the dots that the same God that worked in Saul's life is alive in us through faith, through the power of his Holy Spirit. It's, it's one thing to see how God worked in these miraculous stories of literally, it seems, the dead being brought back to life and people who are sick being healed and, and then the gospel that, that goes to the Gentiles and how the Holy Spirit... And it's easy to see all of these things and just look back and, and say, isn't it cool what God did? Isn't it cool that we have record of that? But I want to encourage us to go further today to understand and be in awe of what God was doing then, but to also realize that God still has the same power and the same ability to work in our lives today. And so the same transforming power that is here in Acts is just as real in every one of us who have turned to Jesus by faith because we have his Holy Spirit in us alive in us, at work in us, able to transform and change us the way that we see him do in these lives, in these, uh, we'll call them uh, characters, right? In this grand narrative of what God is doing in the book of Acts. But it's, it's powerful then, but it can be just as powerful now. And I want you to hear that. I want you to be thinking of that. I want you to have that idea in your heart because the, the ultimate destination of all of this today, where we're going with all of this, is not just to tell stories of what God did then through those who trusted in Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit, but is to point us to what God wants to do now in us. So that as you walk out these doors today, that you would have the awareness the keen awareness that the Holy Spirit inside of me can bring power and change in even the most unlikely of circumstances. The Holy Spirit that is alive in me through faith in Jesus, if in fact you've trusted Jesus by faith, can bring about an amazing transformation in my life, in my community, in the lives of my family and my friends as well, if I will trust in 
and follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That's what was happening here, but that's what, that's what can happen today if we will trust and follow God's Holy Spirit. And so there are three key things that we're going to see, okay? I told you, we're, we're sort of linking these together. So in the stories that we're going to read together and, and, and the bits of this that we're going to look at in Acts 9, Acts 10, and 11, there are three key things that I want us to see that were at work in this day that are also possible in our day. And the first one is this. It's the transformative power of the gospel. The transformative power of the gospel. And so in Acts 9, we are reintroduced to Saul. You may remember that we met Saul at the conclusion of Acts chapter 7 into the early verses of Acts chapter 8 in the story of Stephen, and particularly in Stephen's death, in Stephen's final moments as he is being, uh, as he is being punished with death. Stoning was literally the, 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 what they did. They took large rocks and they surrounded him and they literally bludgeoned him to death with, their, with those stones. Not the way that we think of getting stoned, but, it's a, but nonetheless, that's what they called it, stoning, right? And so as Stephen is being punished, Saul is the one who is standing and overseeing everything that's happening. And so they literally lay their coats down at Paul's feet, which is a sign of his authority over these proceedings, if you will. And then we read in the next verses that Saul was ravaging the church. Saul was at work actively trying to stop the advance of the gospel. But then when we're reintroduced to Saul here in Acts chapter 9, what we find is that God is about to do something incredible in the life of this man Saul that will literally have a global effect that will affect the rest of the world so that you and I even can say to some extent that we are here today because of what God did in Saul's life. Isn't that incredible to think that what God did 2,000 years ago has a direct effect on you and I being here now in 2024 in Chickasha, America? That's how incredible this power of this Holy Spirit is. But, but again, hear me when I say this. None of us are going to be alive uh, 2,000 years from now. I, I'm, that's a bold prediction, right? But I don't think any of us, are, at least not physically alive here on this earth as we are now. Now, praise God, we'll be alive in the presence of Jesus. And if he comes again between now and then, which we pray that he would, that, that he would return quickly. And if he comes again, then he'll institute uh, a, a new heaven, a new earth, a new kingdom, new millennium, all these things, right, that will happen, that will play itself out. And so if, if uh, 2,000 years from now, we, we may be alive, but just not in the sense that we're here today, physically, uh, corporally uh, alive in this sense. And yet, if the Lord should tarry in his return, who knows how there may be others that far removed from us that are affected by decisions that we make if we would live with the boldness of faith that Saul lived with once the Lord got a hold of his heart and his life. So in Acts chapter 9, we read this. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, 
went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, this is not exactly the same thing, but it, this, will, this will help you make sense of everything. In, in effect, what Paul did, or Saul, excuse me, he's not Paul yet, what Saul did is he asked for a warrant, an open-ended warrant, that he could arrest anyone that was a part of this movement that is referred to here as the way. Now, that's Christianity. That's, that's, that's what you and I are a part of now, but they haven't actually referred to them as Christians yet. We'll read about that a little bit later in the book of Acts, where they begin to refer to them as Christians, meaning little Christs. It was at first meant to be a, a pejorative term, kind of a, a slight against them, and yet at this point, they're the way. And so Saul is seeking to find followers of Jesus who are a part of this movement called the way that he might arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem in order to be dealt with. And to be dealt with likely could mean that they would be executed as, uh, as, as uh, traitors against, against Israel. Traitors against the faith, but also in, insurrectionists. And so that's sort of the background. Verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. Then the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord had said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias rises up, and he does effectively what the Lord has told him to do. And we see this amazing transformation take place in Saul's life. That Saul goes from being an antagonist against the church, an adversary of the church, to advancing the gospel to being an advocate for the gospel, right? And that's the kind of transforming power that we see in the book of Acts. That's the kind of transforming power that the gospel, the good news of Jesus has. In effect, it takes one of Satan's 
uh, soldiers and turns him into one of God's generals, right? It, it takes this mercenary and turns him into a missionary. There are so many ways that you can say this, this, this amazing transformation that takes place in Saul's life. And his name changes. He goes from being called Saul to being called Paul. Now, Paul would have been a Greek version of his name. It would have, and, and, and that becomes important because really his whole focus shifts, and we're going to see that play out. In fact, that's really where we're going in just a moment. But the, the focus, the shift, the change that takes place is that Saul goes from persecuting the way, which was a movement at this point amongst the Jews, that Saul goes from persecuting the way to proclaiming the gospel to everyone and, and being the first missionary, along with his partner Barnabas and, and a few others, the first missionaries, we'll say, to take the gospel to the Gentiles and travel broadly, preaching Christ in the, in the outer parts of the kingdom far beyond the land of Jerusalem and Judea. It is the fulfillment again of what the Lord spoke to his disciples at Pentecost in Acts 1.8. You will be my witnesses, right? Great power will come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, that's what we saw last week was Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so Paul is fulfilling the word of the Lord that the gospel would advance to the ends of the earth. It's the transformative power of the gospel that is at work in Saul's life. But it didn't Although the, the, the change happened, the moment Paul trusted the Lord and, and obeyed him, it took some time for him to rehab his reputation a little bit. It took some time for others to warm up to the idea that this same Saul, who they witnessed preside effectively over Stephen's stoning, is now preaching the same gospel. That you can imagine, that would have been a hard pill to swallow. That would have been a difficult thing for them to wrap their minds around that Saul is now preaching the gospel. It seems likely that they probably would have thought at first that this was a part of some conspiracy, right? They probably would have believed, they, they would have created a, a, a narrative that would have said, well, what, what's really happening here? How is he really conspiring against us? If we, if we listen and follow this Saul, then he's just gonna, he's gonna turn on us the way that he had turned on others. He's gonna, he's gonna haul us in and, and, and bring us to task the same way that he worked, and yet God was working in Saul's life from the inside out, and and a few in the church began to recognize. They began to see this transformative power of, of the gospel at work, that, that Saul has believed in Jesus, he's surrendered his life to him, he's trusted in the gospel, and he's gone from being an adversary to an advocate, to proclaiming and preaching Christ. And one of the first who really... Uh, gives credence, who really listens to and invests in Paul that we see, is this guy named Barnabas. Now, you may remember that we've also met Barnabas previously as well. And Barnabas was known as a son of encouragement. In fact, that's literally what his name meant. His name meant son of encouragement. And so he was an encourager. He was, he was a guy who we have seen already that is responsive to God's leadership, who who is obedient to God's work and even to the point of selling lands and possession and, and giving those things to the church in order to fund the, the work of ministry that's happening to the life of the church. Saul, 
Saul is sort of uh, mentored, I'm going to use that word, discipled in effect, by Barnabas. Bar- Barnabas reaches out to him, and, and we see that. We keep reading. But what I want you to see, okay, so the point that I want, I, I told you there are three things. This really leads into the second thing we see at work in this story, and that is the essential influence of the church. So yes, there is tremendous transformative power in the gospel, but there is also an essential influence of the church, an essential influence of others, of men and women uh, who, who have walked with Jesus, who would invest in others, who would give back and, and disciple and mentor others. In fact, we see that here, and, and after we see it in Saul's life through the ministry, the work of Barnabas, I want to talk a little bit about in my life and encourage you to think about how this is at work even in your life. Let's keep reading chapter 9, look at verse 20. Okay, so we've just scanned forward a little bit to verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue. So this is Saul proclaiming Jesus. Now he's preaching the gospel in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by, provi- by proving rather that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. Again, those are Greek-speaking Jews. And in this particular case, they are Greek-speaking Jews who are not friendly to the way, the, the, the movement of the, the early church. Still in verse 29. But they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is again yet another time that we see that the Holy Spirit is at work in the life of the church and that the gospel is advancing rapidly and that there is strength for the disciples, there is strength for believers, and that the, 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 the net effect is that there is a multiplication of the number who followed Jesus. Their numbers were being multiplied because they followed Christ. It's the essential influence of the church that we see here. Now, rightfully so, they were, they were initially cautious 
with Saul as he begins to preach the gospel. And I think they, certainly they had every reason to be cautious. They had every reason to be wary of his genuine, his real motives in light of all that they had seen him do. And yet, through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the confirmation, the movement of the Spirit, certain people begin to understand that, no, this, this is real. What we're seeing in his life is, is real. It's genuine. And we see even in Damascus, there were some who trusted him and they helped him escape that city when opposition arose against him. And then in the city of Jerusalem, there are others, including Barnabas, who hear and, and, and listen to Saul and then they begin to invest. In fact, to the point that Barnabas kind of sticks his neck out for Saul. He, he sticks up for him. And, and what we see here is that Barnabas is encouraging Saul and working alongside him and helping him in this work of proclaiming the gospel. It's the essential influence of the church, that the church is strengthening one another. They're, they're, they're helping each other and encouraging each other, which is why it's so important for all of us who have trusted Jesus to be connected to his church, to be connected to his body, to be plugged in and a part of the church because what we see here is the essential influence of the church. Praise God, in my life, I have been profoundly impacted by the essential influence of the church in, in my 45 years. I was raised in a godly home with godly parents. I was active in the church from quite literally from birth, because I've, as I've shared before, my mother taught the nursery. My mother led the nursery at the church, and so I was at church all the time. I grew up very active in the church. We were there, I dare say, more than the preacher's kids. I mean, we were there all the time, active in the church, and so from a young age, I was taught the stories of the Bible. I was taught the saving power of Jesus. I was young when I came to know Christ by faith. And I was relatively young, a, t a young teenager, when God called me to ministry and sort of set my life on that path. And I praise God for the story of how the, the church has helped shape and mold and influence my life. When you think about all the things in, in the life of, of our churches, especially our Baptist churches, I mean, they they impacted me in an incredible way. Mission friends and children's choirs and royal ambassadors or RAs as we know it and the youth group and, and, and Sunday school teachers and people who discipled me. I mean, I can just count so many ways in my later years, the work of Baptist collegiate ministry and even at the level of our state convention, my life has been profoundly impacted by the, the work of Oklahoma Baptist and ministries like Falls Creek and, and all of these other things that we work together to do. I have been shaped by and, and impacted greatly by the local church. And, and so, and if anybody believes in the essential influence of the church, it's me. I, it's a part of my story. It's woven into the very fabric of my testimony is the essential influence of the church. But when I think about that, I can't take any credit for that. And in fact, I don't share any of that to brag on how active I've been in the church. Really, when I think on that, all, I, I give all the praise to God that, that is a part of my testimony, is a part of my story in God's grace. I was fortunate enough to be raised in such an environment and to be impacted by men and women who love the Lord and invested in others. And 
no doubt there are people in your life, in your journey as well, who have influenced you. Regardless of whether you share the same testimony of, of having that kind of foundation in the life of the church, or whether you're perhaps a more recent, uh, a more recent uh, convert, right? And, and, and it's more recently in your life and your story that you've come to Jesus. No doubt you have been impacted by others who have helped to shape you and invest in you and disciple and mentor you and impact you with the gospel. Now, maybe maybe you had the awareness of it as it was happening, because sometimes we do. And maybe there were instances where you didn't even really know at the time that's what it was. All you knew was somebody asked you to go to coffee or somebody shared moments of conversation or they invited you to church or they said, hey, would you come to this retreat or would you go with me to camp or would you do... And maybe you didn't even realize it at the time that what they were doing is they were making an investment in you. It was an extension of the influence of the church that was investing in you and, and impacting you. And yet we see that every one of us in our life and our story. That's why the church is so important is because we're not called to be spiritual lone rangers that do this by ourselves. We're called first to Jesus, but then we're united together with his body, with his bride, the church, and we get each other to live life together, to encourage one another, to to exhort one another, to equip one another, that we would advance the gospel together. We see that played out in the story of Saul as he becomes Paul, and then even through this this next element or this next, uh, if you will, movement or chapter in the story that now involves another familiar character, Peter, Simon Peter. And what we see is that what God is doing with what we're about to read about in, in Simon Peter's life is he's continuing to prepare a way for the work that he is raising up Paul to do. So let's go backward, chapter 9, and look at verse 15. And let's read again together what, what, what we read already in 9.15. The Lord said to him, this is to Ananias, Go, for he, the he here is Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So God's plan for Saul's life is to raise Saul up, to elevate Saul, and give him the ministry, the opportunity even, to take the gospel to those who are on the outside. Gentiles is effectively a term that refers to anyone who's not a Jew, basically. And so everyone who's not a Jew, which would have been, uh, dare we say, the the majority of the world at this point, right? And and so uh, the, the greater part of the world's population who have no access to the gospel yet, who have never heard or, 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 or even known of this Jesus, and yet God is working. He's laying the groundwork through Saul, who becomes Paul, to take the gospel. But in order to help connect the dots and make that happen, first he's going to use Peter, who in so many regards is, is rightly seen as the leader, the key instrumental leader in the life of the early church at this point. And so this is where we get into the story of Peter and Cornelius. Now, we're going to effectively go jump forward again to Acts chapter 11. And I want to encourage you at some point to go back and read Acts chapter 10. And yet, in the first 18 verses of Acts 11 that we're going to read together, you have in effect, the cliffs notes 
of Acts chapter 10. You have the retelling of the story of Acts chapter 10 just laid out for us. So rather than reading it in Acts 10 and then reading it again in Acts 11, we're just going to skip forward to Acts chapter 11. But what I want you to see here is the willingness to obey the Holy Spirit. Again, that's the third thing that we see at work in the text that we're studying today. So we've seen the transformative power of the gospel. We've seen the essential influence of the church. And now we see the willingness to obey the Holy Spirit. Each of these is incredibly important. And each of these, again, is tied to, tied to this same truth that we, that we began with, that the same Holy Spirit that was at work then is at work now. The same gospel that reached Paul is the gospel that saved you and I. The same, the same church, now it's not this exact same people, but it is the same church in the sense that it is the body of Christ. It are people who have turned to Christ in faith for the forgiveness. So this, in that sense, the same church, the same movement of Christ that, is, that was essential in its influence on Saul's life and so many others has influenced us. And now we see that there's a willingness to obey the Holy Spirit. And that's an important part of seeing his power and his work in our lives. Let's read together. Acts chapter 11, beginning verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. That is effectively a way of saying the devout Jews, the devout Jews who were a part of the church. They, so they were Jewish in their ethnic origin, but now they've come to know and follow Jesus. So devout Jews who have converted to Christ. This is the circumcision party. Criticized Peter saying, you went to uncircumcised men. Again, you went to non, non-Jews. That's, that's effectively the way I, I, you should understand that. And ate with them, which was a big no-no. Verse four, but Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air and I heard a voice saying to me, rise Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. And He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I? that I could stand in God's way. And when they had heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has has granted repentance that leads to life. It's an incredible story that Peter, 
travels to the city of Joppa because the Holy Spirit spoke to him and told him that he should do so. And there in the city of Joppa, the Spirit again appears to him in this vision. And effectively what he understands from the vision is that he is not to call common what the Lord has made clean, which is to say these animals and these reptiles and these birds, these things that Peter saw, these were all representative of, of foods that God had declared were unclean according to kosher laws and that they weren't to partake in them. They weren't to eat of these. And yet God is saying that I have, I'm, I'm going beyond all of that. Effectively, this is God's way of saying, Peter, I'm about to do a new thing. And all the rules and the things that were before, I'm going to move beyond that because now I'm going to work that the gospel would go to everyone. Now I'm summarizing and really I'm, I'm, I'm helping to sort of paint the bigger picture there. But that's effectively the message that the Holy Spirit speaks to Peter. And here's the incredible thing is that Peter, Peter willingly says, okay. Okay, Lord, if that's what you're going to do, then I'll go. Peter, the same one who prided himself in his devotion, his faith, his righteousness and his purity, that he would never eat something unclean. This same Peter then goes to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile, one who was considered unclean, where they would, where they would share uh, food that Peter would have considered to have been unclean and Peter enters into his house and he begins to preach the gospel. And when Peter declares the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit moves in a powerful way. And so now the gospel has come to the Gentiles. And, and it's not just this one instance either. Really, the door is now effectively being opened that the gospel can be declared. And that's what we see here in the awareness, the understanding of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 18 and verses Eight, uh, excuse me, Acts chapter 11, verse 18 that we read together. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They recognized that, the, that God was preparing the way to reach even the Gentiles with the message of the gospel. Do you realize that you and I are here today because they, they listened and obeyed what the Spirit was doing. You and I are here today. We're Gentiles. You get that, right? We're not Jews, at least most of us. I, I dare say we're not, meaning that most of us, I can say with confidence, we're not Jews, at least not ethnically and certainly not religiously. And, and yet we're here today as a testimony to the fact that when God moves and people obey, amazing things can happen. It's the transformative power of the gospel. It's the essential influence of the church and the willingness to obey the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what I want you to think about. This is really where it all draws together this morning. Do you see these three things in your life? Do you have a testimony to the transformative power of the gospel? Has Jesus transformed you? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you have confessed him as your Lord and Savior? You've turned from your sin, you've turned to Jesus as Savior. Has there ever been that, that moment where you've surrendered your life to him and you've been transformed by the power of the gospel? Is there, is there evidence of the essential influence of the church in your life? Meaning, do you have others who have invested in you, who have discipled in you? Have you invested in and discipled others. 
Have you plugged in and connected to the body so that you become a part of a body, a group of people who are working together to advance the gospel and push back darkness in the, in the world? Are you a part of the church? Are you influencing others and being influenced by others? Do you see the evidence of the essential influence of the church in your life? And is there evidence of the willingness to obey the Holy Spirit? Does it just blow your mind when you think? Now, listen, I don't mean to say that you can point to tremendous miracles like what you see unfolding in some of these stories. I'm not talking about miraculous things, but is there evidence of the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life? And then what's more, is there evidence that you've, that you've submitted to that movement of the Holy Spirit? Are, are you listening? Are you obeying? Are you, are you following the Spirit's leadership? so that you could be a part of advancing the gospel and, and reaching others with the same message that has won you. You see, this is, such, this is key that we see this, because if we really believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to do now what he was doing then, and I do, by the way, I'm in my, in my soul, heart, heart and soul, to my core, I'm convinced of this. I know this to be true. The scriptures teach it. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 and read in Ephesians chapter 1. The same power that resurrected Christ from the dead is, is at work in us. Read in the book of Romans. There's so many places that, that point us to know this truth. And I'm convinced, fully convinced, that the same Holy Spirit that was moving then wants to move now and is moving now. It's not a matter of, is God moving? It's not a matter of, God is, work, is God working? The real question is, will we, will we get in line with what he's doing? Will we bring ourselves under the lordship, the submission, the influence of the Holy Spirit so that we can be a part of what God is doing? Do you see the evidence of the transformative power of the gospel, the essential influence of the church? Is there a willingness to obey the Holy Spirit in your life? I pray that these things would be true of you. And if they are true of you, then I pray that you would lean into them all the more, that hearing these stories today, you would be encouraged, you would be inspired, that you are a part of something that is much greater than you, that is much bigger than you, that you are a part of something that has been going on for generations, and should Jesus tarry in his return, will continue for generations beyond us. Because... Jesus himself said that the gates of hell won't stand against his church. Nothing will stop this advance of the gospel until Jesus returns. Are you a part of advancing his gospel? And if you are, may you be encouraged to double down, to lean in, to obey all the more as you, as you trust Christ and you follow him. And if there's never been a moment where you've trusted him by faith, and then, friend, today, would you let this be the day that you surrender your life to him? In a moment, we're going to move into a time of invitation. And we would invite you in that moment to respond by faith to Jesus, just to come simply as we sing this song about bless the Lord. We're going to give praise to him for all that he's done. And even as we sing that song, if God is stirring in your heart and your life today, then we want to encourage you that you would come. You can just literally make your way into the aisle and make your way forward. And Brad and I will be standing here and we would love to receive you as we sing this song of invitation today and counsel you with how you can take those next steps of obedience to trust Christ by faith, to follow his leadership, to obey his Holy Spirit at work in your life. May we, all of us, be encouraged together to know Christ and to advance his gospel as we work together 
so that the good news would reach everyone, just as we see here in the book of Acts. Would you bow your head with me and and prepare your heart for a, a moment of prayer and then a time of response. And as I pray, even corporately aloud for us, I would encourage you just to pray privately, asking God to speak to you in this moment as we respond to his word together. Lord, move in us today. We pray, Holy Spirit, speak to us. The same way that we see you speaking and moving here, we pray that you would speak to us, move in our hearts, guide our obedience and our response today that we may obey you, that we may experience your power at work in our hearts and lives. Jesus, I pray that you would bring salvation to all those that don't know you today who who are hearing this message, that they may trust you by faith and confess you as Lord and Savior, and that you would stir in all of our hearts, that we would respond in obedience as we seek to do all it is that you want to do in our hearts and through us, for your sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to join me as we stand together to sing this song. And even as we sing, as I've mentioned already, if God's working in your heart today and you're ready to respond, then even as we sing, you can make your way forward. We would encourage you to step out, come, that you would respond in obedience to him as we sing our response together this morning. And bless the Lord, how my soul, oh, my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. And oh, my soul, I worship Your holy name. The sun comes up. It's a
is failing the end draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and Yeah.